Hello and welcome to Superpowers with Tasha, the podcast that celebrates differences and the extraordinary power that lies within each of us. In a world that often focuses on limitations, this show shines a light on the unique and incredible abilities that each of us bring to the table, turning what society may perceive as limitations into sources of strength. We hope to inspire you to embrace your own superpower, whatever that may be, and to recognize the amazing potential you have. Today we've got an amazing guest you may recognize him from your TV screens and he's big in the dance world. He recently found out about his autism at the age of 28, which is fairly recent, only last year. So I'd like to welcome social media star, TV personality, and a great person, Tom Malone Jr. Welcome to Superpowers with Tasha. Hey, you alright? Yeah, how are you? <laughs> Not bad. Good, I'm glad. Where do you travel from today? Manchester. How was the journey? It was long. Was it long? It was long. You know the long train that stops everywhere? Oh, it's one of those ones. That one. Was it hot as well, the train? It wasn't actually that bad. Okay, because no. I feel like every time I go to Manchester, it's always really hot on the train. No, it does get hot. <laughs> it gets really hot. Yeah, yeah. So you found out about your autism at the age of 28, which was last year. Yeah. Oh, oh, I think either a week or two weeks ago. Yeah. Like, wow. yeah, it was a year like two weeks ago I think yeah and how's that been for you like that, that year it's been it's been weird because you spend your whole life like just dealing with the way you are and thinking that you're a little bit weird right and then like to have like a, a reason for it it's like you kind of relearn things because you're like oh if I don't do that just because I'm weird it's because of the fact I'm autistic right so like stuff that like even now I'll do certain things and I'll be like oh I do that weird because I'm autistic. It's not just a weird quirk I have. So, yeah, it's a weird one where, like, things that were normal for me mm-hmm. are still normal, but I'm realising that it's because of the autism, not yeah. just because I'm weird. Yeah, so when you say, like, you felt like you were weird, like, in what ways did you feel that you were weird, that makes sense? Like, what are the moments that kind of, like, like made you think that I'm different in a way? So with me, like... I'm very straight to the point mm-hmm. and very like blunt. Like I don't, I communicate in a very straightforward way. Okay. So I was always the problem child that my mum was like, Tom, why, why did you say that? Like, I remember I was at a dance competition once when I was a kid and one of the girls had done a makeup different and she was talking about like her makeup was different. And I was like, yeah, it looks weird. And obviously yeah. to me, I just mean it looks different than usual. Yeah, yeah. Apparently most people would word it differently. So then she ends up in tears. Her mum's the same to my mum. Why did Tom say that? And it's just stuff like that. Like I would mm-hmm. read the room wrong, say the wrong thing at the wrong time, say it like direct and not realise that you should kind of beat around the bush with certain things. And okay. just stuff like that, like always wrong thing at the wrong time. And I'd always have to do things in a particular way. And that, oh, there's so much to it that like, it really shapes everything you do. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. that's one thing that I've had to kind of realize is that because it's a whole different neurotype. Yeah. It's like your brain is just it processes information differently, so you're literally processing the world in a different way to most people. Right. So in terms of like that, like it's probably shaped every single aspect of my life, and I've just never realized. Yeah. And what was the moment for you to kind of? Like the click moment of, okay, I want to go get diagnosed. Like, what was that moment of maybe I have got autism? 
So people had always mentioned it from being like young mm. about like, oh, he must be on the spectrum and stuff. But because I'd always been able to like function in society, I'd always been very much like, oh, if I am, I am. If I'm not, I'm not. Like it doesn't really yeah. matter to me too much to get a diagnosis. And then one of my nephews was suspected of having autism. And a lot of the behaviors that he like displayed that are the reasons why they suspected it was stuff that I used to do as a kid. Why? So for me, I thought if I go and get tested and I'm not, then fine, I know I'm not. And if I am, like he won't have to grow up not having someone that he can relate to. Because mm -hmm. like his mom's not autistic. There would be no one else in the family that's autistic. So like as much as he can go and he's speak to his mom and stuff about anything. Yeah. Like there'll be stuff that she still wouldn't be able to relate to. Whereas he could always come to me and yeah. chances are I'd. I've been through the same thing. So when I first got diagnosed, it was more so that he would have some someone to relate to. And then sense. as I realized that, I was like, oh, well, there's probably a bunch of kids out there that feel the same way. Mm -hmm. So I might as well be like really open with it on my social media and stuff and just change the stigmas around it. Because I'm not the sort of person that people would immediately associate as being an autistic person. Like mm -hmm. if you go on to like TV and like films and stuff, like the autistic person that they show, is always like someone who's really academic and like mm. got these really weird quirky things that they do it's never someone that people would perceive as like being a dancer that performs in front of a bunch of people or anything like that so yeah. i thought it makes sense to break down those stigmas so that other kids can be like oh just because i'm autistic doesn't mean i can't do this or i can't do that and so yeah i think originally i got diagnosed because of my nephew yeah and then after that i realized that there's actually more people that i can yeah. hopefully have a positive impact on. Well, you are having a positive impact. I looked at your TikTok and your socials and you really are being that voice and you are, you are helping you. out all those people out there with autism. And how, how did it feel to do that first? I saw your social media post where you announced it kind of. And how does that feel to kind of share it with the world, basically? Was it kind of like a weight off your shoulders or did you feel like, okay, it's more like a internal kind of thing that you felt like you needed to do it or um, obviously use a platform as well i feel like there was a, a bit of both like that there was never any doubt that i would be open with it because yeah. of because of my nephew and stuff like i would never have shied away from it because i wouldn't want him to ever feel like there's anything he needs to shy yeah. away from like that's who you are so for me there was never any sort of option other than to be open with it but yeah. there was an element of i wonder how people will respond to the fact that Mm -hmm. now I have something that's seen as like a disability and like you, you're never quite sure how people will take it mm -hmm. so there, there was an element of I guess going into the unknown yeah. but it was never really a choice for me like I'd rather be open with it and own it because it's who I am than yeah. to shy away from it and how did people respond to it a lot of positivity actually yeah like there was a lot of people that I didn't realize how many people that like I've got autistic children or autistic people already followed me like I didn't because I found out late I wasn't aware of just how common it is yeah so the amount of people that were like oh this makes me feel so much better because I followed you for this long and I'm actually also autistic and yeah. there was a lot of that there was also a lot of people who were tagging other people that they knew onto the page because they knew people that were autistic yeah like it was massively positive to be yeah, honest. that's really good to hear. Yeah. Cause, you know, you want to have that support and community from the people that yeah. follow you, and the fact that you had people with autism that followed you as well. I bet that was a really nice feeling to kind of 
see that and yeah. you know that connection you already have that connection with them and you have more of a connection because you know so you've got autism so it's probably really special for you to see that like it's yeah, been amazing for sure it was like like obviously you get the odd people that don't really understand it yeah yeah but i take that as an opportunity to educate to educate yeah so like you'll get people that are like oh well you're obviously on this end of the spectrum and it's like well the spectrum isn't linear it doesn't have and so then it kind of opens up the conversation where yeah. where a lot of people don't know about it. It's like, oh, well, I know what you've said. You've tried to come at it from a negative point of view. Mm -hmm. But I can use this opportunity to kind of show people what it actually is so that less people now have that sort of stigma yeah. in their head. What are the stigmas around autism? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, what, what kinds of stereotypes? Is there like, like specific stereotypes that people say or stigmas around autism and how do you break that down? Yeah, so there's like, there's the, the just the stigmas that you'd be like an academic kid, you're probably into some like, to like Harry Potter and Star Wars and like all the stuff that's typically seen as like kind of nerdy, right. which is ironic because I'm like the biggest Harry Potter fan in the world. But <laughs> like, that doesn't make you a nerd or anything like that. And yeah. Even that, like, if you are academic, like, that just means you do well at school. That's a positive thing, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, true. I think, like, there's a lot of there's a lot of weird stigmas, but they they also... It's the same as anything else. So with it being a neurotype, that's that saying that everyone that's neurotypical mm -hmm. is exactly the same. Right. So if someone would presume that all autistic people are the same, it's the same way as being like, well, then everyone that's not autistic is automatically the same automatically into all the same things automatically if one's a bad person you must all be bad people like yeah so it makes no sense to presume that just because one person's autistic all of the autistic people must fit the same brief right yeah like for example you do occasionally get comments where it's like oh well you can't be autistic because my cousin's son's autistic and you're nothing alike and it's like well th that makes sense with different people like, yeah yeah no everyone's going to be the same yeah exactly yeah. Right. so they're like yeah. there's there's a lot of that but outside of that i think it just comes down to to education like there's a lot of like there's just not a lot of education properly around autism like yeah for me i personally think that obviously going back there's a lot of traits in me that i see in older family members okay but growing up, I guess it was just seen as like, oh, he's just like that person. So it's not because he's autistic. Right. It just runs in the family. Yeah. But then to think that when that person was growing up, autism probably wasn't talked like, about well at known. all. Yeah, well known, yeah. So there was no need to think that they might have had something that no one talked about. Yeah. So then it goes back to there's probably people out there that aren't getting diagnosed because they just see it as a family trait rather than an autistic trait. Right. So I think that also ties into like the stigmas and stuff where unless it's like on the end of the spectrum where, well, not the end because it's not a linear spectrum, but unless it's in like that area of the spectrum where you like find it a little bit harder to function in society. Yeah. Then a lot of the time it probably gets swept under the carpet as just like, oh, it's just something that runs in the family or something like that. Yeah. Take it back to school a little bit. How was it for you in school? Like, was it? like academically and just like socially as well like was it tough for you in school or were you because obviously I feel like in school like were you was teacher supportive of you because obviously you didn't, you didn't know you had autism then but yeah. do you reckon if you did know you had autism back then would your experience be different um yeah a hundred percent my experience would be different but I think so this goes goes into where there's also benefits 
of it as well. So yeah. like I'm able to really hyper focus on things that I'm passionate about. Okay. So like the subjects that I didn't really enjoy, I would just be like, I don't, I don't care. Like I don't, don't really want to be here. I'm never going to use this again sort of thing, which isn't yeah. a great attitude to have, but it's just yeah. the way I am. I find it hard to apply myself to something that I, I don't care about. Yeah. But the subjects that I enjoyed, I excelled in. Like I was like really good at them all. And even like the subjects that I didn't enjoy as much, I was still academically like, yeah quite good at like I was in like the top sets for everything but I just wouldn't apply myself more than necessary yeah but stuff that I enjoy I like dive into so academically I like excelled in all that sort of stuff in terms of like like the social side of things at school Mm -hmm. I was kind of a bit like a a social butterfly like I would get along a bit with with everyone but I think that was more so because I'd learned to mask by that point yeah and I think because with my dance stuff because I was achieving quite a lot in something that I was passionate about like in outside of school when I was at school I still had a sense of self-worth of oh well I'm good at what I do yeah so it made like it made the social side of things easier because it was like I know that I have self-worth so I'm not going to doubt that when I speak to people which is something I'm passionate about is the fact that like it was very beneficial for me that I found something that I loved like back then because it helped me so much through the times when like I probably would have struggled a lot more socially if it weren't for that yeah I can I can totally relate with dancing like that's same as me dancing yeah. was my safe space and yeah. still is to this day and what got you into dancing was it just a local dance school or what was the first kind of moment that you you know you found out about dancing so basically my sister like m- my mum had like what but my mum and dad, but my mum my was like a stay-at-home mum, like raising us and stuff. So there was me and my sister and my younger brother that were all like under five at the same time. Oh, <laughs> so like, yeah. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and my eldest brother, like he weren't like much older, but he was like eight at the time. So like a lot of us, when one of us was doing something, the others would get brought along a lot of the time. So my sister started dancing. Okay. So my sister went to like a tap and ballet class and my mum had me and my brother there as well. And I just started joining at the back, like, of my own accord. Yeah. So my mum turned around to my dad and was like, oh, I think Tom wants to dance. And my dad was like, well, let him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's amazing. And then, yeah, so it was um, a woman called Jean Geddes that just had, like, a local dance school. Yeah. Rest in peace, Jean Geddes. Shout out. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. So yeah. she um, she had a local dance school and it all started from there, really. Yeah, amazing. And... To this day now, like, since you found out you had autism, has it changed for you with dancing? Because obviously I saw you at the Capital Jingle Bell Ball. I was actually yep. there watching the show. Oh, sick. Yeah, so I saw you with all the dancers. And I just thought, wow, it's so cool. How did that feel for you up there? Because that was in December, wasn't it? So yeah. how did that feel for you doing that? That was crazy. Yeah. That was, that was such a weird experience, like, because as a dancer, like, most of my career was dancing behind other artists and stuff yeah so like to be at the front with like my own backing dancers and stuff yeah was such a weird experience like I can imagine I got to come out the stage at the beginning and stuff like, <laughs> I, I was like who do I think I am like some Michael Jackson <laughs> business I was like this is crazy but yeah it it was it was sick and it's weird because because dancing is something I've done like for as long as I can remember and something I'm so comfortable with mm-hmm. it's like that's the only time that I can be the center of attention yeah. And not feel weird about it. Okay. So like, yeah. and this is something that I've only really started to understand since being diagnosed as well is like, I hate being the centre of attention. Right. Like, I cannot stand it. Like, being somewhere and people are singing happy birthday, 
I will leave. Please do not. (laughs) (laughs) Not now, please. Never, ever. (laughs) Yeah, I hate it. But like, I realize it's because I don't show that much emotion a lot of the time because of like the autism. So a lot of the time I'm like, I don't know how I'm meant to react in this moment. Yeah. But like being on stage, doing something that I'm so comfortable with is like the only time that I don't mind being like, this is me and this is what I do. Yeah. And I enjoy this. Yeah. So like... Being able to do that on stage in front of like, I can't remember how many people it was. It was like no, 16,000 yeah. or something crazy like that. Like that was a really surreal experience. Yeah, that's amazing. And do you feel music differently or um, like, is dance? Like how do you, cause obviously for me, I feel it like through my body, like vibrations. That's, that's how really I cool. feel the music. So yeah. I feel it a bit differently. I wasn't sure if, you know, for you, if it's different for you as well. Um, I think probably to a level mm. because with autism you have like sensory overload and stuff where things like some of your senses can be like really tuned into stuff and it can throw you off sometimes but like I think everyone probably experiences music slightly differently Mm -hmm. but I think yeah because like auditory is something that I struggle with with like my autism and stuff I think I definitely listen to music in a different way yeah. To a lot of people, like in terms of like the layers and the textures and stuff, and yeah, I think to an extent it probably it probably helps. Yeah. A lot rather than hinders when it comes to dance stuff. Yeah. So what do you mean by the auditory that affected you differently? What do you mean by that? So like, if say I'm like trying to concentrate on something, yeah. If there's like the smallest sound somewhere, like I won't be able to zone it out. Okay, so like, you like you'd hear it, and it would oh, just get wow. louder and loud. Like it would just start overwhelming me. And like when I was a a kid, this is one of the things that my nephew did. That my mum was like, Tom used to do that. Yeah. It's like if he's focused on something or playing, and there's noise around him, he'll start humming to try and drown it out. Okay. And then if the noise gets louder, he starts humming louder. Okay. And that's what I used to do when I was when I was little, or like like I would just remove myself completely. Yeah. And like that's something that I've learned to do as I've got older to cope with stuff is like if I'm like simple stuff like putting in your bank details and stuff when you're mm-hmm. like doing something online. Yeah. It's like if there's too much stuff going on around me, I get really like overwhelmed and frustrated. Okay. So I just have to like take myself out of the situation, go and sit in a room by myself where it's quiet and just kind of get, yeah, get yeah. back, ground yourself basically. Okay. Yeah. That's really interesting because I didn't know that like, I'm learning so much talking to you as well. Like I didn't really know much about autism and. All this information you're giving me is like, wow, okay, it's, you know, it is a lot that you do go through as well because I can imagine yeah. it's draining. I saw on your TikTok about autistic overload. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that TikTok. Can you tell me a little bit more about what autistic overload is? Yeah, so it's like a, like a burnout kind of like in terms of, so for a lot of, a lot of autistic people when mm-hmm. we're socialising, yeah, a lot of the things that for most people is subconscious, we do consciously. Okay. So, for example, like I naturally, went, so when I was a kid, I wouldn't really like do the eye contact thing very much. Okay. And then I was in training for Billy Elliot when I was younger. My mum was like, "Tom, you're in a room with big directors. You need to look people in the eye." <laughs> and obviously, this was pushing you as autistic. Yeah, yeah. So I took it all the way to the other end. So I'd like was just staring people in the eyes. Then so then it got like too intense. So like stuff like eye contact, where most people yeah would be like naturally looking at someone and looking away when I'm speaking to someone I'm consciously like look them in the eye and then I'm like okay this is getting weird now you're looking too long now look away and then now look back so I'm consciously doing that the whole time I'm speaking to them whilst also trying to read the room for what's appropriate to say what's not Mm -hmm. whilst also trying to 
display like not look too like emotionally dead and stuff at the same time so like i'm consciously do, like making all those calculations at the same time as having a conversation wow so like if you're out in a social environment it gets so draining so quick mm. so like the way it might take someone a few hours for their social battery to die that mic can go so quick if there's too many people i don't know in one space yeah, it goes, it goes so quick and I'm like, it's time to go home. Yeah, no, I'm literally, that's crazy you say that because I'm literally the same. My social battery goes, like, literally, yeah. if I go to an event, for example, yesterday I was at Silverstone after like three hours, I was like, I'm ready to go. <laughs> like, it's just so much noise. I have to lip read quite a lot and have oh, okay. conversations in noisy places. So I get that feeling when you feel drained, you just feel yeah. exhausted to the point that you can't even speak yourself. <laughs> so like, what do you do to recharge your battery? Like, do you just go home? Like, what are the things you do at home to kind of just, you know, take a breather um, and just ground yourself? So for me, a lot of the time, if I do choose to go out and stuff like that, like I'll never let it, hinder me from doing stuff that I enjoy because I do like going out I yeah. do like being social yeah. it's just it's it's training for me yeah so what I'll do is like my my support network's great like I've had the great best circle of friends around me from being like 15 16 like yeah and it's never changed I've always had the same people around me so because I'm so comfortable in that environment with them yeah like we'll go out together and they kind of ground me a little bit in terms of like mm interacting with them is so easy because they know me from how I've been from way back so I never have to try and mask in front of them or anything like that so yeah. when I'm dealing with other people it's a little bit less draining because I know that I can be a bit more yeah authentically myself yeah even though that since I've been diagnosed I feel like I'm more authentically myself anyway because I'm like well I don't need to try and change mm -hmm. how I act for anyone but I think naturally because you've done it for so long there'll still be an element of it that creeps in because you don't want to make other people feel awkward as well. Yeah, yeah. So I think having them there often makes it easier for me. Yeah. And then if not, like, I'll just go home. and A lot of the time I'll either just sit and put music on and just have, like, my own time. Yeah. Or, like, sometimes I'm that tired, I'll just sit, uh, like, I'll get home and I'll sit down and I'll forget that I'm not doing anything. And then, like, I'll look at my phone and like, an hour's passed and I've just not done anything. I've just sat in silence, like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's crazy like, how we have so many experiences for different disabilities, basically. So, Gogglebox, yeah. obviously well known for Gogglebox. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about how did you even get onto Gogglebox? How did that opportunity come around? So, Gogglebox was a weird one because mm -hmm. they scout people. Okay. You don't apply. So, I was teaching at a dance studio in Manchester called Studio 25. At the time, they were like short on people for reception. So my mum had come in to like work on reception for a few weeks. Yeah. And um, there was a woman upstairs that used to always complain about the noise. And she'd been on the phone to my mum and like, I think she'd been annoying. And mom, like my mum had everyone laughing because like the, the woman was being annoying. The way my mum was being like polite, but also very much like, you're being annoying to this woman. Okay. People were, were laughing and then, like me and my mum were having banter and stuff and then they basically rang the studio, but they didn't speak to my mum, they spoke to Sue, the lady that owned it. Okay. And was like, do you know any families that would be good for it? So she she suggested me and my mum. Okay. So then the next day they came in and there's like the reception and there's a glass wall behind the reception with like the studio behind it. Yeah. So they've said to my mum, like, oh, are you Julie? She said, yeah, and they've gone, is that Tom? 
and my mum's turned around and I was trying to work out why my windmill to headspin wasn't working right. So they've looked into the studio behind it and gone, is that Tom? And I was stood with my head against the wall doing this. <laughs> so they must have been like, he's not okay. <laughs> this is going to make good TV. That's what dance training does to you. <laughs> yeah, we're all weird. So um, yeah, they asked us to do it. And my mum was like, well, I'll have to ask my husband. Yeah. So my mum spoke to my dad. And at the time, we didn't fully understand what it was. We'd never watched it at the time. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't as big as it is now. And yeah, so she told my dad and we were like, there's going to be cameras in the house all the time. That's what we thought at the time. And my dad was like, no. So if I'm getting up, going to work and I walk downstairs in my underwear, like, no, absolutely not. And then they were like, no, the cameras were only there on filming days. Mm. And then my dad was like, well, we've got six rottweilers like it, it won't work and they were like that's even better because in their head they're just thinking this sounds like a crazy house like, mm -hmm. yeah so in the end we agreed to do the test shoot did the test shoot and somewhere in between doing the test shoot and being told that like they wanted us to do it i was home late one night and i think a rerun came on mm -hmm. and like my mum shouted me downstairs and we watched it and it was actually like funny so then we was like all right cool we'll do it and then yeah it just uh, took over our grew. life for like seven years mom and dad still do it wow yeah that's crazy seven years that's a long time and how did you find like how did you find the experience and this is actually quite an interesting question obviously you, you know that you've got autism now yep. if you knew back then would you still have done goggle box yeah 100%. yeah i think i think i'd never turn down an opportunity because yeah. of my autism like i would never I would never allow myself not to do something. It's like when I get invited to like premieres and stuff, like I'll, as much as I'm like, oh, I'm, there's going to be a lot of people mm -hmm. looking at me, people pointing cameras at me and like, yeah, like speaking to people and stuff. Like, I'll, I'll never not go because I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to be someone that shies away from things because of it. Like, I know that there's ways I can cope with it now yeah. that I can use to get through those things. And if I enjoy doing these things, I'm not going to say no just because of that. Yeah. So like Gogglebox would have been the same thing. I definitely... Yeah, definitely would have done it always. That's that's really good to hear because you know I feel like that's a really powerful message is that you know you don't don't let it affect you or shy away from it. Yeah. It's about you know this is who I am. There's ways to cope with it. I can turn it into a positive kind of situation. Um, and obviously you mentioned that you had dogs. Yeah. So six what what wireless right? Yeah. Well, at the time it was five Rottweilers and a staff. Oh, I love Rottweilers. They're yeah. so cute. <laughs> so. What like do you, are dogs like a therapy to you as well? Like, cause I, for me, with my puppy, I feel like she's just like a little like an outlet <laughs> outlet to her all the time. Like, I feel like dogs just know. Like, was that the same for you? Like, did you did you feel like they were kind of uh, your obviously you're allergic you're you're allergic yeah. to dogs as well. So like, I love dogs. Like, I'll I'll have dogs when I'm older. Like, I'll I'll always have dogs. Yeah. But I am very allergic to dogs. Like, I and my mum and dad didn't realize. Right. So like. I was, when I was born, they already had a dog. Okay. So I grew up basically with my mum and dad being like, why are you always ill? Like, I always had a cold. Like, oh, no. Constantly was like, like, even like now, I struggle to fall asleep, like, breathing out of my nose. Right. Because, like, growing up, yeah, my nose was always blocked. Oh, no. <laughs> so literally for 20 years, I went through a 20-year allergic reaction, constant. <gasps> moved out, moved to London. 
And for some reason, I, no one has ever moved to London and been like, I can breathe. Like the air down London is terrible. But <laughs> I moved to London and suddenly could breathe out of my nose. I was like, this is this is <laughs> sick. I'm cured. It's like, what's yeah. going on? London like, cured me. <laughs> yeah, I'm cured. I'm amazing. So I'm going through London now. I can breathe through my nose. Great. And then it came to film the next series. I went back to film and literally walked in within about 20 minutes was like, I'm getting a cold. Like, And I just thought it was a cold. And then Dave the dog that's always a problem, like he's mm. an idiot. He jumped on me basically. And within like five minutes, I just started getting like a rash on my arms, like oh. with these like kind of like hive like things. And I was like, what is going on? And then I realized I'm I'm allergic to dogs and never realized. Oh no, that's yeah. crazy, 20 years. And, and my mum was like, oh, well, it's a good job you've already moved out. <laughs> Fair enough. She was like, otherwise, we would never have gotten rid of the dogs, you know. <laughs> like, was like, if we had you. dogs first, you wouldn't be here. <laughs> basically, the dogs over you, basically. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow, that's crazy. Like, it's amazing to hear your story and the journey that you've gone on. And, and like, when I look at you, when you use your platform, like, you really should be proud of yourself of the Thank way you. that you really are utilising your platforms. And I think Thank it's you. so important to have, you know, role models to do this. And... What's the best advice you could give to the younger generation or anybody that's kind of, you know, found out they've got autism and what to do with it? And what's the, what's the advice that you could give to them? I think what really helped me was the fact that I found something I'm passionate about very young. So mm. the fact that I found dance and I was good at it, like, really gave me a sense of self-worth and made, like, I've always been very secure in who I am because I know what I'm passionate about and I know that, like, I work hard at it and whatever, so it made everything else easier because no matter what anyone else can say to me, yeah, I'm still, like, succeeding at the thing that I'm passionate about. Mm -hmm. And I think that really helps. Like, having that sense of self-worth means that you don't let other people affect you as much. Yeah. And I think that always helped me massively. That's really, that's a really nice message. It's just basically, you know, knowing your self-worth is so important because I feel like it's, it's hard to find that self-worth, but yeah. if you find something you love doing and that's your safe space... That's really going to help you on your journey into life. Massively. Like with dancing, it was generally was my thing that I just did all yeah. the time, like going to class and just dancing it out. And I just loved like the feeling of it. Like yeah. It's, it, yeah, you need to find that kind of, where home is, it's home, isn't yeah. it? And it's expression. So if ever you do feel a bit rubbish, like yeah. it's a place you can go to kind of event without taking it out on anyone yeah <laughs> <laughs> i love it because like you go into class you kind of put on like a character don't you yeah, like, yeah. facade and like one day i'm like feeling a bit sassy so i'm going to put a little like sassy facade on or <laughs> you're doing a contemporary dance is a bit sad and you do like a little like it's like yeah. crazy it's like character work isn't it with dancing as well but Literally. yeah it's you know like you said it's about finding what works for you and knowing your self-worth is so important in in your journey so you're an ambassador for the National Autistic Society. Yep. So when did you join um, the society for, to be an ambassador? I actually can't remember when when I joined, but it was like one of the first things, like when I got diagnosed, they send you like a a package of like all the things and like mm -hmm. resources and stuff that might be able to, to help you. And that was like one of the top ones. Yeah. And um, when I was looking through stuff, it was like their stuff kept coming up of like the things they help people with and how they try and like help autistic children like the families of autistic people and stuff that are like yeah also dealing with it so I think they were always doing really good work and I kept seeing it and eventually like they reached out to us and I, I really wanted to be involved with them and like just help do what they're doing and hope that they can you know further my voice with what I'm doing and yeah, yeah it's been a really good partnership 
That's really nice to hear, like, you know, becoming ambassador for something so important and close to your heart as well. Yeah. And tell me, like, with your future and, you know, what's kind of like your dream, your goal that you want to achieve in the future? Uh, so I really want to make, like, the arts more accessible for both, like, autistic children and eventually, like, more, like, neurodiverse children in general. And also just for working class children, I feel like I got lucky that I ended up finding it because my sister went to a, a ballet class and stuff. And because I was a boy, mm -hmm. like it's easier for boys to get scholarships and stuff a lot of the time because there's less of us yeah. doing it. So I managed to do a lot for a lot like less expense than most people have. And luckily I had two very supportive parents that were willing to like, like my dad worked seven days a week for me being tiny, like yeah. all my life to be able to pay for me to go and do dance classes and boxing and stuff when I was doing that. So like, I'm lucky that I've had that and not everyone does have mm -hmm. have that. So I wanna make like the arts more accessible for both working class children and just neurodiverse yeah. kids in general. So hopefully I can do more to, to push that as well. I'm sure you will. So I always ask this question. So obviously this podcast called Superpower Tasha. What would you say your superpower is? I would say, being very secure in myself. I'd say my superpower is the fact that no matter what anyone says to me, like, if I know it's not true, then it can't affect me. Yeah. And I think that's, it's something that's not very, it's not very easy to do, like it's easier said than done. Mm -hmm. But I think it's like, you, everyone can work on it and no one's ever gonna be like 100% bulletproof. Yeah. yeah. But I think as long as you know who you are, then you can't let outside things affect that. Yeah, no, I love that. Thank you so much for coming on, Tom. Thanks for having me. Oh, good. <laughs> Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed and took something useful from this episode. Don't forget to follow Superpowers with Tasha on your favourite podcast platform. And together, let's make a world a more inclusive and accepting place. See you next time. <laughs>